Welcome, ladies and germs, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 213, January 1987 issue, published on October 7th of 1986. Cover price, 75 cents. This one's titled Psylocke. I wonder what it's about. I'm going to assume that it's about Betsy Braddock telling everybody her name. I'm a telepath, everybody. My name's Betsy Braddock. Oh, you can call me Psylocke. <laughs> we met just a few missions ago. I'm a I telepath. Itself. Um, fantastic cover. Alan Davis at his best. This is good. This is, uh, oh yeah, and Psylocke's in the box. Yep. And the cover is basically, hey, it's it's Sabretooth and Wolverine going at it, kind of te- trying to tear each other's heads off, basically. What do they call this? Like a knockdown, drag out, knockout, drag down something? Yes, it's a drag down cover. <laughs> Sabretooth <laughs> is in drag. This cover's dragging me down, man. Not me, man. You throw this on a poster or a t-shirt, I'm all over it. In fact, you can't complain really about Alan Davis. I mean... What could you possibly? I mean, this is pretty consistent art-wise. It's it's very good. Um, so let's look at the creative staff. It's written by Chris Claremont. Alan Davis is the guest penciler. Paul Neary is the guest inker. Tom Orzgowski is the letterer. Glennis Oliver is the colorist and Ascenti is the editor. And Jim Shooter is the editor in chief. And uh, yes, this issue is uh, pretty consistently from start to finish uh, a, a solid s- visual tour de force i think alan davis really likes uh drawing issues that psylocke is primarily the character of well i think he sort of created the character at least has been has been around for the character's development all those years wasn't the first appearance by alan davis and alan moore or something like that or was that a later thing i I don't well uh well the point is he was there (laughs) Yes, uh, and I I think don't Alan Davis and Alan Moore go on to do Excalibur for the most part. I think that's Chris Claremont and yeah, you're Alan right. Davis. You're right, you're right. Hmm. Okay. I don't know if Alan Moore at this point is writing comics for Marvel anymore. You think he's moved over to the dark side? Um, I think uh, I want to say Watchmen is out, and I think by that point he had already had. Lots of problems with Marvel. I'm not 100% sure on that. Nah, me neither. This is definitely not the historic comics commentary podcast. Oh, yeah. This is not the knowledgeable comics podcast. We we don't even know necessarily a lot about the X-Men. Not really, no. The (laughs) X-Who? Frankly, I don't don't really care for the (laughs) X-Men. Yeah, I'm more of a Wolverine fan myself. So He's uh, He's the one with the flaming skull and the chains, right? Yes, he drives the motorcycle. Yes, Wolverine. Yep. Yeah, vroom. <laughs> That's her. Uh, I like She-Hulk, the black lady with the mohawk. She is the coolest. <laughs> Definitely. Totally an embodiment of the 80s. So I have mixed feelings about this opening splash. On one hand, I think it's awesome. And on the other hand, I don't think it's a good picture of a face. I like it. I think it's like a good composition. Like, I like the concept. I like the idea. Um, I just feel like if you take away the the Cerebro helmet, her face looks kind of messed up. And maybe that's because she's gritting. I don't know. I like her chin, her mouth. Um, I guess I see what you're saying. Like, maybe if you did a profile of this, her nose would probably look like Wicked Witch uh, pointy. And her eyes are potentially a bit too far apart. But like you said, 
put it all in perspective with the composition of how it's laid out, uh, I think it's really good. So I it's guess a, I'm okay with the unreality of this uh, splash. Yeah, I, I can I can let it go just because of the the idea and the the strength of the the concept and uh, you know it it's exciting. You yeah. see it and you're like, oh wow, this is this is cool. What's going on? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean to be honest. Uh, I've never really thought about her nose or her eyes until you actually made me stop and think about it. I've always just looked at this panel and been like, it's a good panel. And I kept going on uh, with the book. Uh, but yeah, our first couple of pages essentially are Psylocke using Cerebro to patrol the mansion grounds for any uh, marauders that might be looking to attack them as they have the Morlock tunnels. And it also gives the storyteller the opportunity to catch us up if we've maybe missed the last issue or this is our first comic book. So, uh, interestingly enough, uh, Betsy is doing all the narration here. She does not refer to herself as Betsy Braddock or Psylocke, which is the first time. Yeah, yeah. So I, and Chris Claremont is giving that up. Is this the first time we're seeing the butterfly eyes? Yeah, I wanted to point that out. Um, if it's not the first time we're seeing the butterfly eyes, it's definitely the first time we're seeing it used in every panel where her telepathic presence is. Yeah, and I, w I wonder who came up with this idea. It's a really cool idea. I would imagine Alan Davis probably, you know, t uh, you know, as they're pitching the story back and forth, Chris Claremont's like, oh, we'll do a little narration thing. And, and uh, uh, Alan Davis being in the visual medium is like, well, how am I going to represent that? And he probably just whipped this thing up, would be my guess. Unless uh, it's a callback to what she did in, you know, old Captain Britain comics. But I don't really recall it. I, I feel like I would have remembered that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I want to, I tend to agree with you. I think, I think it was Alan Davis. Chris Claremont may have just said, uh, Psylocke communicates telepathically with Rogue or something to that effect. And yeah. Alan Davis took it upon himself, as you said, to, to create a visual representation of that, which works phenomenally well, I think. And was picked up by all the other artists moving forward. I think I read somewhere that Chris Claremont was notoriously easy to work with when it came to collaborating with artists. So much to the point where he'd be like, what do you want to do? And the artist would maybe throw out a crazy idea and Chris would be like, no, I think we can do that. Uh, I have an example of that, but it's going to have to wait for about 40 issues. So hopefully I won't forget. Oh, you'll remember. <clears throat> I believe you've brought it up before, so you'll remember. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I'm consistent. <laughs> we see Nightcrawler in his comatose state looking very gray for some reason. Not yeah, I wonder if it's supposed to be colored gray or if there was a snafu at the coloring lab. Yeah, and not only that, he just doesn't look like Nightcrawler in this panel. Well, you can account that for Alan Davis. Maybe, you know, mm -hmm. never having driven... Uh, drawn rather uh, Nightcrawler. It's not, I mean, he, mm -hmm. he would go on to draw him quite a lot. Yes. And then we've got a uh, Colossus in a bed. He's still got the smile from uh, last issue when he when Magneto did his operation on him. So does that mean the last thing that he was able to do was smile and now he's stuck smiling? I don't know because he was able to say, Doctor, what what is wrong? I cannot move. So... I would assume he can move his lips. The other thing that's interesting about this narration panel is he says that uh, while Colossus is alert, his thoughts are like bright sunlight on a field of glowing golden grain. Whereas <laughs> over the last couple of issues, it's been like, I want to kill them all. 
So something has changed in Colossus. We'll just be we'll put put a put a pin in it, as you say, and see if this is consistent. Yeah, pin put in. And then we flip over to Kitty Pride, who is in a glass cylinder uh, with Lockheed as a visitor. She's very upbeat, smiling even, even though she's in a ghost-like state, uh, I guess ever more discorporating, like it is progressively getting worse and nobody do knows we, what to do. Do we know why she's in a back-to-tank? No, I would assume sci-fi. <laughs> like, if you're turning into a ghost, where else would you go? I just, it's its a—it's an interesting choice. I, I wish it had been explained, or maybe I missed the explanation. I kind of just want her to be walking around. Yeah, I uh, don't believe it has been, uh, no, it has not been brought up why she's in this glass tube. Uh, it's cool, and you're right, it would be interesting if Moira McTaggart would have said something like, ah, Lassie, we got to put you in this glass cylinder for fear you're blowing away. Oh, well. Yeah, but whatever. That'll be addressed, I think, in X-Men versus Fantastic Four. Okay. <laughs> and then we move uh, around the mansion. She's uh, kind of wandering. She's new to this team. Uh, she kind of met everybody through the New Mutants, but they're gone. And she yeah she's she's checking in on the new mutants to see if they're back and every they're they're known as missing right now and she would like to find them uh, I guess she's she's done a lot of uh, cerebro searching as, only, as far as she can not only are they missing they're they're presumed dead right she she has not been able to detect them their presence at all although I don't know what the range of cerebrus is and or cerebro is. Cerebus is. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, they're about to talk about that soon, they so are. we'll get there. Uh, and then she she reminisces about Doug Ramsey, about how he cares for her, uh, and she's not sure how she feels. Uh, well, you know, he's a kid. Yeah. She, she realizes that he has a childlike crush on her. Um, yeah. More... I, I love Alan Davis's Warlock, by the way. It's good. It's great. It's fantastic. Yep. It's the best warlock shy of Bilson Kevich's. Yeah, yes, I can agree with that. Everybody else is kind of like a pale compare or a pale imitation of Bill Sinkovich, but uh this is is definitely Alan Davis and a unique take. Not so much yeah. unique, but it's just it, it's it's uh it's warlock, but it's not aping <laughs> those that have come before him. Right. Meanwhile, uh 40 miles away under the streets of Manhattan in the alley where the Morlocks formerly lived, everything's gone. Yeah, the plasma wave that we know Thor caused uh, has wiped everything clean. Stupid even, Thor. Even the sense. Like Wolverine can't smell anything. So he couldn't smell X-Factor? I guess, did he smell? He must have smelled them before everything was wiped clean. He must have. But with the So this leads the question of what happened. So like, has the Daredevil story not happened yet? All the kids in the in the, in the the that showed up in the does – does he not smell them? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, he I, says, I can't find even a trace of a scent, anyone's scent, which would imply that nobody has been in this tunnels, which begs the next question, what happened to Sabretooth? Did he like leave the tunnels momentarily? He's like, I got to go get a sandwich. <laughs> I don't think everybody was quite on the same page. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I – Maybe Wolverine's exaggerating. It's like, maybe he's like, uh, there. I can't smell anything that I haven't already smelled. I can't smell anyone's important scent. Right. 
And we've already dealt with Sabretooth. I can smell him, but I'm not going to tell you about him because he's not important yet. He's not here right now. He's somewhere getting a sandwich. Callisto's very upset. She's wondering who did this and what did this when Storm very quietly says, lightning. And this uh, kind of enrages Callisto a little bit. She she brings up the fact that while they were fighting in the last issue, there was there was a lightning storm going on. Um, and is was that controlled by you, Storm? Are, are you are your powers causing lightning storms that you're not in control of? And did you cause this particular lightning storm? And this is what I made a very big deal about last issue or last episode. When they were fighting, I commented ad nauseum about maybe there being a lot of wind. but There it, was definitely wind. There was no lightning, no rain, no storms of any kind during their fight. And if you look, I mean, their fight was m- m- only really like Callisto slapping her across the face, being like, snap out of it. Like, you have responsibilities. But this fight shows them up on a cliff top. Their arms are entwined. Lightning is all around them. Like... This didn't happen last issue. This is an interesting panel as well. Their arms are way too long. <laughs> <laughs> I like the panel. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's all silhouetted and everything against the lightning. So, I mean, visually, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. stylistically uh, amazing. But if you stop to think about it, you're like, what? Yeah, but my problem is like, why is this? Why are they retconning just an issue later the events of Callisto and Storm's slap fest? I because because Callisto wants to blame Storm for the the lightning, which makes no sense uh, for a couple of reasons. Storm has never, as far as I know, controlled level uh, lightning to the extent that she has destroyed every degree of physical uh, bodies or anything like that from, from like to this level. No, so I think maybe what happened, and this is maybe me just being hopeful, is that. Once they got to this point in the story and they thought about it, they're like, oh, man, you know what would be really cool (laughs) is if, you know, because they've been kind of uh, alluding to the fact that maybe when Storm gets enraged or when her emotions are running high, uh, that even though she doesn't have like full control over her weather power, like weather seems to go kind of crazy around her, meaning that maybe there's like a little little substance of her uh, substance of her uh, mutant powers uh, uh, residing in her. So I feel like they got to this point and they're like, oh, you know what we could do? This would be so cool. And then we could leave it like a mystery. Even though we know we read Thor, there is no mystery. Because otherwise it makes no sense to to retcon. Because even Storm puts the doubt in here when Callisto's like, are you responsible for this? And Storm's like, I do not know. Well, it is the, it is the first time that anybody has referenced it uh, out loud. Uh, not necessarily. No, when they were in Japan, uh, Mariko was like, oh, during the fight, I see Storm behind you. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? It was like 180-something. It was a while ago, but that was one of the first references of Storm not having her powers, being kind of enraged, and like a, like a freak storm uh, popping up out of nowhere. All right, so they're just continuing the thread. This seems more concrete than any of the prior references. They they all had seemed more, more vague. Um, right. But the thing that I just... Like, acknowledge me, Adam. Like, this fight with the lightning didn't happen. I don't care. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, sure it did. No, it didn't. We saw them fight. It was windy. Yeah, well, you know, in the movie version in my head, because they say 
that there was lightning now, there was lightning. Oh, it's a cheat. That means you can do a n- the next issue. You can just change the contents of the previous issue to make your story more interesting. Uh, yeah, and they do <laughs> quite frequently. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's a big deal just, to me, Adam. They put lightning in the background. It's not like they changed a major character <laughs> to something. They changed a major weather element about what happened. Nah, this doesn't bother me. So I guess the thing that bothers me is that uh, if they would have done it this way, that would have been cool. But they didn't do it this way, and then they kind of retconned it in this issue, and I feel cheated. Uh, maybe the panels were just so tight that we didn't see the lightning. Maybe it's like Scott and Alex's third brother. Like, you just never saw it from this angle. <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> like, the lightning really, was off to the east, and our view is of the west, and that's why we only saw wind. We only see them fighting for two panels, and they are... Uh, one's a wide shot, one's a tight shot, the background of the the wide shot is all white, so potentially maybe there's lightning there. The background of the the uh, that was the tight shot. The wide shot, the background is purple. You see wind in the foreground. There could be lightning back there. That's off panel. Who who knows? Who cares? Me clearly. <laughs> I've made a pretty big deal out of it. Fine, whatever. I'm willing to let it slide because there's. I mean, they only fought for like thirty seconds anyway. Yeah. Okay. Somewhere off panel, lightning strikes. I don't know. Here's a new plot device that we're just going to introduce. Make up. Well, the my my more uh I my question that does this does this continue? The I feel like this thread eventually gets dropped. Well, I mean, it gets dropped because of events that happen, but yeah, I mean, it 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 it's persisted uh, as a subtext. That storm, that that some like uh, take take for example when they fought in San Francisco, uh, the uh, Freedom Force, who may have been the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants at the time. Like Storm didn't have her powers, but during the battle, like a storm fired up. So I guess I guess what I mean, there's never really a payoff, Um, and I'm more specifically talking about. The Callisto and Storm relationship here, no, like no. like Callisto, Callisto brings this up like it's a big deal. No, um, no, this and never, they never really, they never really follow up on the Callisto finding out that oh, turns out it was Thor. Yeah, no, sorry about that, Storm. <laughs> no, that never, that doesn't get resolved. But I think that I mean it has far more implications for Storm and zero for Callisto. But yeah. Anyhow, moving on. <laughs> Magneto. <laughs> yes, he's here. He believes that the New Mutants are alive somehow, and it's his responsibility to protect them. And out of nowhere, he just says, The Hellfire Club has invited me to join the ruling body, the Lord's Cardinal, as White King. Perhaps I should accept. What does that have to do with the New Mutants, and why is he bringing this up now in the sewers? Uh, it, yeah, it feels kind of wedged in there, but I mean, it's it's just kind of fleshed out as we go through here, is that... Hey, man, times are tough. You got these marauders. Mutants got to stick together. Uh, the Hellfire Club has invited Magneto to sit at the table. Like, maybe it's not such a bad idea to, to put in with your own. It's a little, the timing's weird. But, you know, it's Magneto. He's an evil, was an evil mutant. I, I don't understand uh, why the new mutants being missing means that it's a good time. Like, it's not a good segue. The new mutants are missing. Maybe I should join the Hellfire Club. You're right. The, the reasoning for joining the Hellfire Club is because of the mutant massacre that just happened and that uh, uh, stuff is getting real. So maybe we need to align with our enemy just in case we have even bigger enemies. That's a cool concept. But 
following off of uh, New Mutants or missing, I think they're okay. I should really think about joining the Hellfire Club. It it doesn't flow. It, it would have been that's all I'm saying. It would have been better for Magneto to say, as headmaster, it's my responsibility, and then for some more dialogue between the X Men about how times are tough and how we got to stick together, and then for Magneto to be like, yes, I agree, and Hellfire Club's invited me to, to sit at the table. Um, but no. And Callisto <laughs> jumps on the bandwagon. Face facts, Windrider. The X-Men need help. You can't go on alone, especially against the Marauders. Yeah, she's not wrong. If I can stomach joining up with you, you can with Hellfire. To which Storm says, you're not joined with us. Yeah. We don't let you be an X-Man. In fact, I'm not entirely sure where you've got that costume from. Because <laughs> as we haven't mentioned yet, she's wearing like a blue jumpsuit with a with a belt. Yeah, she she's been she changes costumes every time we see her lately. I feel bad for Callisto. I mean, as we go on, like maybe she's hanging out at the mansion, maybe not, but like the X-Men kind of drop her like a bad habit after a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then her reintroduction to the comics, like we're going to have to really pay attention to that cuz I never understood that. Okay. <laughs> but that's not for a while. Um anyways, uh Psylocke has been listening this whole time with her little Psylocke butterfly. And she suggests that maybe she could expand uh, her to her telepathic view of the entire hemisphere for either the New Mutants or the Marauders. Uh, using using Cerebro to amplify her telepathic power. And the, uh, and the X-Men are like, nah, you ain't one of us. <laughs> At considerable risk to yourself, young lady, I know you mean well, and such courage and generosity do you... P- proud but your plan is far too dangerous because i say it is yes magneto offers no rational reason or explanation or well tell me more about your plan psylocke do you fear that it will put you in danger i feel like professor x used to do this all the time <laughs> yeah i have a great idea that we could do this thing no oh okay yeah it is a little like uh, micro- like professor, professor Professor X scans the entire world <laughs> and using Cerebro every other day yep. at, at no danger whatsoever. Well, isn't there something about Magneto changing the magnetic something or other of the planet to make that harder? Yeah, that, that That's like a plot device that they add when they need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't talked about that in a while. Storm says that they'll take the proposal under advisement, but for, for the meantime... Uh, you should uh, just maintain security at the mansion. I can do both. I want to help, Storm. Then, Psylocke, do as I say. And to be fair, uh, if you're a leader and you have a specific plan in mind and you don't really want your team members to just kind of go to, you know, the four winds, it's it's not a bad command from her but as you've put out there's there's it's it's been a little micromanaging and controlling uh, well it's 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 how storm has been lately it's kind of how admiral haldo was in the last jedi <laughs> what <laughs> oh yeah 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 right and and then poe poe see see and that's what happens and then poe goes and does something stupid like send uh uh fan on a mission that means nothing yeah she should have she should have had uh better control over poe dameron i think yeah i agree and and it, and and it doesn't mean nothing you shut up <laughs> in any event um wolverine is the the voice of reason here who's like hey we could use her power storm she's an unknown quantity says storm we can't make any more mistakes i don't want any more bodies on my 
conscious. We need to make sure that Elizabeth is safe in case we need her, presumably, at some point. Speaking of, I don't know, speaking of transition I can't figure out how to make, where's Longshot? Um, he's there somewhere. <laughs> Longshot has not been a featured player in the Mutant Massacre at all, has he? Nope. No, he has not. Um, maybe he is, like, doing some research into how to get back to the Mojoverse. He's at the library. Didn't, he's on a vacation. Didn't, but in uh, annual... Whatever annual that was, didn't they invite him to join? Uh, I don't know that they invited him to join so much as he was, there was nowhere really else for him to go. Okay. They had kind of shared an adventure together. Yeah. That was it? There wasn't a, you can be an X-Man now too. No, because they're, they didn't offer Betsy uh, an opportunity to join the X-Men in that issue and she was there too. Not the X-Men so much, but it almost seemed like they were going to try to give her a... Well, they invited her to stay at the school to learn how to use her powers, so uh, I would assume that that would mean uh, part of the New Mutants, right? Also, it's possible that that was written after this. That's a good point. Hmm. So, so don't know. However, he'll be around soon enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I just... From a... From a... Um, purchasing the comics off the comic rack standpoint that must have been really confusing i don't know when that was published either i mean right i don't remember either yeah so so it is you know it is possible that some people are wondering where Longshot is um or wondering where the psylocke person came from (laughs) anyways back back at the mansion uh betsy's like that's just their way of telling me to shut up oh i'm so angry and then she detects a stranger in the school. She attempts to do a size scan to fix his location. And it looks like Cerebro short circuits or she short circuits. Um, looks like she was doing her little butterfly eyeball thing and it fires back. She goes screaming, yarg, and falls to the floor. Cerebro lands. The chair that she's sitting in crashes to the floor uh, presumably she is unconscious. Mm-hmm. Interlude in Los Angeles. We see a black-haired woman with a leather jacket walking down the street, kind of thinking to herself. It's identified as Allison Blair. Mm-hmm. She's walking by a giant plate glass window where we see her reflection morph into a, you know, classic dazzler with the white... Uh, jumpsuit and long blonde hair and she's like you hate it referring to her current look um and and dazzler refers to this person this reflection as malice so so she's i guess she's come a long way since we last saw her well when we last saw her the caller was like i'm malice right but i i don't think she knew that it was malice though she, she didn't know it was malice no right we knew that as a, as a, the audience knew uh but dazzler didn't know but now she does know so somewhere along the line she figured out that the collar is another being called malice she still doesn't want to take off the collar cuz i guess maybe she's as we find she's she's kind of enjoying this well, I feel like what's happened here uh, is so she was in the bathroom and that what whatever issue that was and Malice attacked her uh, and she thought she had fought it off. But as she walked out, I think she had the Malice collar on. Right. I think she's been um, avoiding the Malice topic or possession or whatever you want to call it until just now when she succumbs to 
the former blonde dazzler and she's like yeah you're right i i hate this thing that i've been doing hiding i should be out there i should succumb to malice and so this is that possession so so she she slowly uh sees herself in the window she malice talks her into like you don't want to look like this you want to look like this and so she does run off to the stylorama she puts on a new set of 80s clothes, gets her hair cut, it's all blonde and kind of classic Dazzler, well, second generation Dazzler. And she's like, I'm a star, I'm Dazzler, and it's time the world knew about it. So Stylorama, is this like a place where you buy clothes and then go to a club? Or does she <laughs> she, she go to Stylorama, buy some clothes, and then she goes to a club? I think it's the latter, yeah. She goes to Stylorama, gets herself a makeover, and then heads out to the club. She does her little Dazzler effect, surprising everybody. And she's like, hey, y'all, I'm Dazzler. She gets a Taylor Swift haircut. Is this a Taylor Swift haircut? Because if it <laughs> is, <know. laughs> then Taylor Swift got a Dazzler haircut, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It would obviously be the other way around. <laughs> so, meanwhile, back at the mansion, Rogue... Like Taylor Swift knows who Dazzler is. Come on. <laughs> well, maybe she's like, I modeled my whole life after Dazzler. I thought Wouldn't they... that be awesome? That would be incredible. She's like, they're still pitching that movie around Hollywood. I want to play Dazzler. <laughs> I don't think she would make a good Dazzler, but she definitely does kind of do that 80s. I, I think Taylor Swift is kind of doing the 80s sort of thing. And I think Dazzler is sort of aping the, the 80s sort of thing as well. So they they all, they all come from the same uh, birth canal. Did, what? Did, I don't know that that's what you meant to say. Uh, didn't she make that album 1989? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Or yeah. Is that what, I don't know. It was 1984 or 1989 or it was 1984. The George Orwell story. 1984 I, I, was the George Orwell story. 1989 is a song, at least maybe an album by Taylor Swift. Now, interesting. Uh, also is that malice responds to the captions. So the captions say, she walks alone as she has for months and no one notices. No no one she passes looks twice at her. That's what she wants. And then Malice says, bull, you hate it. Yeah. So yep. Chris Claremont doing some interesting stuff as captions as both inner monologue and narration. Yep. It's interesting. I, I like, like it. it. Yeah, me too. Meanwhile, at the mansion, <clears throat> Rogue is uh, per, per, patrolling the perimeter when a hand comes out of a bush and just smashes her into a tree. <laughs> yeah, uh, according to the, the well, we know it's Sabretooth because it looks like Sabretooth. I'm not sure why he's in silhouette in two panels and in two other panels he's clearly not. I don't know, but I like the silhouettes a lot. Yeah, the silhouettes are great, but it's it's kind of like, it, I feel like they're keeping Sabretooth a mystery, but anybody who read the last issue knows who this is. And looked at the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times the cover and the issue don't necessarily coincide at the same time. So maybe Alan uh, Davis drew this to be more of a mystery, even though that second panel of Sabretooth is clearly Sabretooth. I don't know, man. Who cares? So he, he grabs uh, uh, Rogue and uh, claims that she's dead. Yeah. Bang, baby doll. You did. Do we have a voice for Sabretooth? Uh, yeah, it's probably just Wolverine. Ah, <laughs> mm, it's gotta be something different. Bang, baby doll. That sounds like Wolverine. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hmm. we'll have to work on something for him. Bang, baby doll. No, yeah, I, I know what you're going for, but I, I don't know. 
we'll leave it up to the audience. Maybe the audience can send us some suggestions as to what Sabretooth should sound like, and we'll try to incorporate that. We need Psylocke suggestions, too. Well, Psylocke is just a very proper English girl. Yeah, but neither of us do a proper English girl well. <laughs> I just so did, we... jerk. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> I don't know what you think you're doing, as, but it ain't that. As proper as I can. It's like a it's like a bad uh, Mrs. Doubtfire impression. No, that would be like, uh, hello, I'm Psylocke. <laughs> yeah, anyways. <clears throat> she... uh, and we also need Longshot as long as we're talking about people that are Ooh, coming yeah. up. All right. All right, there you go, audience. You have your homework. Sabretooth and a Longshot. Uh, and then if you really just hate my Psylocke, which I can't imagine how you would, we could use some <laughs> recommendations for that as well. Uh, she, she, speaking of Psylocke, she picks herself off the ground and, uh, she realizes that she got careless. Uh, Cerebro was amplifying her psi powers, uh, so much so that when a stranger showed up, it overpowered everything, I guess. Yes. Because, yeah, Cere so, so when she con contacted the X-Men in the tunnel, she had Cerebro on volume 10 and she forgot. She uh, she realizes that this must be a, a marauder. She's about to alert the X-Men, but that's when Sabretooth enters the Cerebro room and destroys Cerebro. He's as deadly as his namesake. Can't let him near me. Will a Psycho Blast stop him? Yay! <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> psycho Blast, though, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Psycho Blast! <laughs> And it does knock him backward into more Cerebro electronics. Cerebro's pretty much smashed up at this point. Yeah. So uh, she has broken ribs, if you recall, from when Colossus fell on her. And now her arm hurts. Well, she got a, she gets scratched up. Yeah. Uh, if you see in the panel, it's it's really well done in the panel where... Uh, Sabretooth slashes and destroys Cerebro. He's got his hand on her, sh his other hand on her shoulder. Ah, uh, yes, yep. And then she does the cycle blast, and you can see his hand like ripping down her shoulder. Yep. No, it's, it's uh, well done, Alan Davis. It's a, it's a really good sequence. And I guess I'm just trying to emphasize that she's getting more and more physically banged up uh, as as these issues progress, but she's got heart. So she, she knows that she can't physically fight this person, but she knows the mansion. She's got her, uh, telepathic power. So she's going to use them. What I want to know is how did Sabretooth find the X-Men? Are we just going to say Mr. Sinister knows everything? Um, tracked Wolverine scent. Oh, okay. I mean, there's, there's well, clearly a tunnel from like from the Morlocks to the X mansion. True. And there's a tunnel from the Morlocks to X factor. So really there's a tunnel from X-Men to X factor. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bet you there's a tunnel to Fantastic Four and to Avengers. Like all of these people are connected and they just don't even know it. it seems like bad so security. Tunnels. Well, we know that the Hellfire Club is down the street from Avengers mansion. Also, like 40 miles of tunneling to go to from Manhattan to Westchester? That's serious. Uh, yeah, you know, those New York tunnels are very um, robust. Yeah, I guess. But it, it, if, if uh, the state of New York was to invest that much uh, in a tunnel that led from Manhattan to Westchester, don't you think they would continue using it and not abandon it to let X-Men and Morlocks use it? I want to say that it didn't originally go all the way to Westchester, but the X-Men excavated it. <laughs> oh, they excavated it? They excavated <laughs> All right. Um, 
Meanwhile, uh, Sharon Friedlander and Moira McTaggart are uh, in the danger room hangar. They're somewhere with with all of the um, uh, wounded. I think there's just an office outside of the uh, where they're they're keeping all the bodies. The they're covering bodies in the hangar. Yeah. So this is it's probably the some, some offshoot of the hangar, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I want to say this panel in the middle of the page of um, of uh, Psylocke is fantastic. Yep. Got a nice big grin. There's a wisp of hair going into her face. I would wear that as a T-shirt just uh, by itself, without the prove it on there. Just, just no. I, I, you can leave the prove it on there. Okay, that, that's even more interesting. Prove it says my T-shirt. Yeah, hot pink or a or a purple to match her hair. It could have many meanings. Yeah, uh, Sharon's wondering if they can't do anything to help, but Moira's like, nah. Like we're just humans. Psylocke's got powers, and look. She's leading him away from us and the wounded. So she's paying for our survival with her life. Runs into a gym of some sorts, uh, and Psylocke picks up a dumbbell and throws it off to Sabretooth, who catches yeah, it presume, and crumples I, it up. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is like, uh, so the dumbbell, it's probably, about, it's probably about 80 pounds right there. Oof. That's, that's heavy. She tosses it. Yeah. And then uh, Sabretooth just catches it. You're pretty strong for a skirt. That's <laughs> better. So yeah, I just did Wolverine, but more animalistic. Yeah. That's got to be murder on your throat. Uh, if you do it from the front of your mouth, it's not as bad. Oh, okay. Too bad you're out of your league. <laughs> it was more guttural um, the first time. Yeah, maybe it's hard to do. <laughs> So he crumples up the dumbbell, throws it back at Psylocke. Uh, she's getting up to the window because she's going to climb out, but the dumbbell hits, kind of clips her and smashes through the window, and she goes falling out. Which is, what was she planning on doing? I imagine she was going to open up the window and, I don't know, climb down. Oh, Okay. <laughs> But we see that it's two stories up, so I don't know. Cause I guess you don't really think about what you're doing when you're being chased by Sabretooth. You just kind of go go with it. Yeah. So she uh, is able to grab onto a gutter and hoist herself up to the ceiling. Of course, Sabretooth... Never fails you that the part of you that's hurt is invariably the one that you need the most. No, that sounds too much like Destiny. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, like a, it's like a young... Uh, <laughs> no sprightly destiny. It's like a smoker. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they they get close to Storm's loft. They fall through the loft skylight, and they continue to fight. Uh, Psylocke grabs one of Storm's knives, and he she's about to swing at uh, Sabretooth, but it really does no good. Sabretooth is able to stop the knife and punch her across the face. Pick her she, up. She's using some psychic defense, uh, uh, some cybolts, some more cybolts. Is this, do we, do we know cybolts? Is that a new one? Let's assume it's not. Uh, she's using some cybolts, but he's got psychic defenses up and he's about to bite her neck. When Wolverine steps in. Yo, Saber, how about tackling somebody more your speed? And he, Sabretooth is... I was wondering when you'd show Runt. Love to, 
soon as I take care of business with the lady, he says with a gigantic grin. But in a very comical panel that really doesn't change perspective, he gets whapped in the face with a pole. Another time, villain. Tonight, Psylocke walks free. So Storm uses her pole, smacking him in the face, hitting him in the chest, and then tripping him. I want to say that's an actual weapon that has a name, but I don't know what it is either. I don't know. What was the like a the staff? The what what staff did uh, that turn teenage mutant ninja turtle use? Oh, a bow, bow staff. Yeah, it's a bow staff. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it feels more like an extended billy club or something. Yeah, it probably has a cool name. It's the Whoopa. Sure. Sabretooth falls down on some plants and a table, and Storm uses this uh, opportunity to get her and Psylocke out of there. And Wolverine and Sabretooth begin round two, which yep. is just a bunch of fighting. No problem. They they fight. Um, the gist of all of this, it's a very cool fight sequence. They're, they're all over the place. Just as we talked about last episode, uh, they're very evenly matched. So they could just keep fighting and fighting and fighting, and no one would ever be the victor. Uh, Another Meg- reference that they know each other when Sabretooth tastes... Uh, Wolverine's blood and says, tasty run as always. Magneto wants to use his abilities to uh, essentially chain him up with some metal, which makes sense, right? I mean, Magneto could be like, okay, whatever, you're a ferocious animal, but I can use metal to bind you up. Uh, but Psylocke is like, no, that's a terrible idea. What we need to do is let them fight so that I can psychically probe them to find out some more information. Kind of, that's it's getting there. It's getting there. It's kind of late, late, lady Bowie. <laughs> yeah, it's a work in progress. Um, Magneto is wondering about Wolverine. Is his life worth this sacrifice? And uh, Silox, uh, like, I think Wolverine would be cool with this plan. Yeah, and and you know, Storm's in charge, and and she she is the leader, so she says, do it. So she does in a very cool panel. She struts her stuff, and she is all beat up. Her costume or nightgown or whatever she's wearing is all ripped up. And she starts psychically probing, and we get a really cool sequence, uh, battle sequence between Wolverine and Sabretooth. Um, So love what they do. Let's see. Uh, Images is wild, blah, blah, blah. Wolverine much younger, tossed, broken, and bloody on a snowscape. They have fought before. So that's probably a callback to uh, Alpha Flight when when they found him as a wild, feral animal. No, I think this is a reference to an issue that we haven't seen yet. Uh, Chris Claremont does an issue of Wolverine. I think it's 9 or 10. Okay. Where they, they kind of go into this. Although although he doesn't have claws in that issue. I see other faces, hear other voices from much later from a much later time. Yeah, you might be right. Marauders and a shadowy all uh, uh, and a shadow all acknowledge as their master. Very non detailed, nondescript shadow, uh, clearly not an early design for Mr. Sinister. Yeah, it's Chris Claremont was probably like, We don't know what he's gonna look like, so just draw a dude in the back. I must find out how to deal with his master. I must probe deeper. Forgive me, my friend. I'm not sure what she's hoping to find. Like, the secret to destroying Mr. Sinister is red paint. (laughs) I, that's why I was kind of briefly reading those, because the plan seems to be like, let's, let's use this time to fight. Uh, to lower Sabretooth's defenses so that Psylocke can probe him so that she can figure out what Storm was after in the first place. Let's get a prisoner to figure out why this all happened in the first place. 
Uh, and I don't feel like they actually got that information. Well, I feel like there's information around, like she's trying, she's doing an inter- information hunt. She's yeah. basically at the library. She's doing her research and, um, She's learning about the Marauders. She's learning about Mr. Sinister. I don't know what she means by I must find out how to deal with this master. Um, and I don't think we'll ever find out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I wish they would have gone a little bit further. Uh, there would have been more of a payoff for this whole plan. Because, I mean, Wolverine is so happy. He's like, uh, hear that, sucker? You've been conned. I kept you busy. Psylocke tapped your teeny tiny mind. And now we're going to put you away permanently. But he doesn't because yeah. <laughs> Sabretooth's like, what? And he smacks Wolverine away, jumps into the water and escapes. You ain't taking me and you can bet I'll be back. And so Wolverine goes after him. Rogue's like, you stupid. Like, we got what we need. Don't go after him. But again, there's no payoff. There's not like, his name is Mr. Sinister. I don't know what he wants, but at least we have a name, right? None of that. It's just like, they don't even, they don't even really address it. They're just like, well, that, that was a fight. Hey, Psylocke, well, you want to join the um, X-Men? I think... It's all off off screen. I think she does learn some information, and I think the problem is that Chris Claremont doesn't know what that information is yet. Um, as I, I, as we can tell from the next few issues. So, to, for me, that would be fine if they would have done a like a very cliche comic thing in the narration of finally she finds it, and then and then they move on, right? Like, they well, don't... that's what the whole you've been con that kept you busy. I mean, she says. Wolverine, I have the information we need. There is no more need to fight. We have won. And, and that's that's your I found it moment. All right. I guess fair enough. So whatever that information is, we I don't think we ever learn. Yeah. It's 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 more about uh, the 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 moment, the, the 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 characterization that we're getting here of of Psylocke making these choices. And right. it's an, it's it's a well done action sequence. It's. I, th- I think it's really powerful, actually. I, yeah, and look, I'm not going to complain. This is a, that's a it's a it's a storytelling uh, hook that didn't pay off for me. But really, the story wasn't about getting the information out of Sabretooth. The story was about uh, what is the character of Psylocke, and so this issue proves that she's uh, maybe not physically the most strong person, but she's resourceful. Uh, she perseveres. She doesn't give up. She can take a beating and still uh, continue to carry out the mission. So she kind of proves her worth to the X-Men. And that's really what the story is about. So I, I, I like it. It's good. It's all good. And yes. And and, and at, the, at the end of the day, uh, she prevented Sabretooth from murdering everybody in the hangar. That's true. That's true, too. Gotta admit, I owe Bets an apology. When it was crunch time, she didn't fold. She taught, or she thought of the X-Men before herself. If you ask me, she's an X-Men. If that's what she wants. It is very much what I want, my friend, if there are no objections. You lost it. (laughs) I wasn't trying. Whatever you had, you lost. That was like a Lady Banshee. (laughs) Uh, She's gonna... Wolverine speaks for us all, Elizabeth, says Storm. Welcome to the team. Next issue, Malice to All, with Malice to All. So I feel like this Malice storyline, which began at the beginning of the the mut, uh, Mutant Massacre, is the only reason why we're still in the Mutant Massacre, even though, you know, for all intents and purposes, we're not in the Mutant Massacre anymore. 
But the reason that it's included in this book is just because it kind of bookends the, the beginning. Yeah, that. I don't or, know how I feel about that. That, I mean, you're talking about the trade paperback. I feel like they just wanted to get 10 or 12 issues into a trade paperback. Yeah. And really, if, if they have a plan out, they're probably like, well, if we don't include these two issues, then, then we have like a weird. I, I agree. This is not mutant massacre material. Well, this is this this, this this issue is still considered a part of the mutant yeah. massacre according to the map, but it doesn't. It never really ends. Like there's no the mutant massacre happens and there's fallout, but it it doesn't it doesn't. There's not really like an ending to it. I'm frankly okay with that because um, as I'm reading, let's say it's 1987 or 1988 or whatever it is. Um, I feel like more is going to happen, right? And and real life is like this. Like things happen and there's not like a neat, tidy bow to explain exactly why it happened uh, and things like that. I, think the I thing would that, agree wait, with you I think the if, thing, if they didn't call it an event. Well, it and, is an event. And, it's a, and it's, give us a Marvel Mutant Massacre map that has all of these issues neatly laid out. Uh, the, it doesn't feel like an event. I like it as a sequence of events in the overall X-Men story. I even like it as a crossover with X-Factor. What I don't like it is as as mutant as the mutant massacre event where nothing really happens. I mean, something happens and then nothing happens. Yeah. I so the one thing that I like about the mutant massacre is the map because what I think what they learn from uh, this event is that it's very difficult to try to do what they did here, which was have a whole bunch of storylines intersect on certain points because it does kind of lead to like, well, wait a minute, what about this and what about that and. It takes uh, the time that it takes to produce a comic book and maybe some ideas change, some dialogue changes, some art changes, what have you, uh, which leads to inconsistencies. So I think future events are a little bit more linear. Like it'll be, you know, an X-Men comic continued by X-Factor, continued by X-Men, continued by X-Factor. Whereas this, like, you could spend the time to, like, edit these pages to create, like, the story in real time. Um, which is kind of a neat and ambitious idea. Maybe it didn't pay off as well as they had hoped, and that's probably why they didn't really do this uh, type of crossover again. I'll be curious to see how the next crossover changes. Well, if you're talking about Mutant Massacre, in my opinion, there's like four panels that tie everything together. Like, I don't consider that a uh, crossover at all, but I, I guess I'll reserve... I, it, it, it's not a crossover in the sense that the heroes meet up. It's more of a crossover in the sense that it's all going on at the same time. True. Stuff stuff is going on in X-Men that's going on in X-Factor, that's going on in Thor, it's going on in Power Pack. Sometimes people meet up, sometimes they don't. Yeah. So, anyhow, we got uh, we got some letters. I guess that's what happens when you go on hi- hi- hiatus for as long as, as we did. People notice that you're gone. <laughs> hey, people like us. Never knew how much I liked you until you weren't there anymore. John Aaron, uh, he was concerned that he had the mutant power to curse podcasts by email because apparently the only other podcast he ever emailed went dead a handful of episodes after they read his message on the air. And apparently he emailed us, we read his message, and then we went off the air. But we're back. Um, He discovered our podcast about six months ago. He's been listening to every episode, uh, and he used the hiatus to listen to most of the episodes covering the original X-Men and listeners... I know 
those old issues are rough, but I think Adam and I do a really good job of making them as fun as they can be. So if you haven't listened to the first generation, if you will, you should do yourself a favor. I mean, the first few episodes are a little sketchy because we're just uh, finding our footing, but but we hit our stride pretty pretty quick, I think. Yeah, uh, we we cut our teeth on those first few episodes, but yeah, we I think I don't know, we just have a lot of fun. Let's yes. put it that way. Uh, he does confirm some ideas that we had about Ricochet, Rita, and Spiral. Basically, there is uh, an issue in of X Factor number seven that confirms that they are in fact the same person, and that there <laughs> and there is some like time changey stuff happening that that allows. Uh, them to exist in the same place but yeah also some information about destiny her real name is irene adler which is the same name uh, of the beautiful woman who outsmarted sherlock holmes in conan doyle's story a scandal at uh, in bohemia leading to a speculation that the marvel universe sherlock's home was real and the two irene adlers were in fact the same person which would make irene adler at least 125 years old which isn't necessarily out of the question because it's been confirmed that destiny was alive in the 19th century as was mystique uh, and they were lovers uh, but it's not confirmed that she ever met Holmes. Yeah, interesting information. Boo. <laughs> are you booing John Aaron or are you just booing Ricochet Rita Spiral? I'm yeah, I'm booing I'm booing the Ricochet Rita Redcon. Hey, y'all, you can blame Fabian Nisazia for that. I and among other things. <laughs> uh we also got um, a, Oh, go ahead. Are there other instances of um uh like people from other works of fiction appearing in in the Marvel universe. I want to say like that there's got to be a lot of other name drops that are Dracula. Oh, there's Dracula. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the family that uh, goes after Dracula. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to say that Sherlock Holmes is a part of the Marvel universe or even that just, it didn't necessarily go down. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe Sherlock Holmes's superior intellect was that of a mutant power. Oh, now you're talking. (laughs) Uh, Dustin Habel, Habel, he writes in, he says, uh, really enjoying the podcast. Recently uh, began reading through the X-Men again, filling in the stories uh, and side stories he missed uh, as a kid. His first issue. This is a, this, this letter hits home. His, and we just got it today. Uh, His, uh, the first issue he, bought i guess was uh number 225 he had a subscription to classic x-men back then not knowing the many unnecessary liberties that were taken Uh, he didn't know any better and he thought it was great he grew up in wisconsin has good memories of buying comics in madison i hope some of the old shops are still around he discovered the podcast just before the hiatus so it's great to hear that we're back in business so i don't know have i been forthcoming in in my geographic location i must uh I don't know. I have no. I'd have to go back and listen. Okay, so I'm also in Madison, Wisconsin. So I believe I've been forthright with that. Um, I've been saving this story, but now that he's, he's you know, he's he's kind of saucing. Wait, before, his... before you do this, did you write this letter? It sure seems like I did, but I promise you, I did not. Um, my first issue that my first brand new issue that I bought, like like on the rack. Like not a back issue uh, or something that was like a month or so old was 225. As a matter of fact, X Men Uncanny X Men number 225 was uh, the issue that got me from reading GI Joe comics to looking more and more into the X Men. And when I bought a red X Men 225, I read it uh, in a like a um, 
study hall in school. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Like all these characters and uh, it was really well drawn and, and all this stuff. Uh, I had no idea what was going on because there's so many storylines that kind of converge on 225 and then it goes its own direction, but I still really enjoyed it. I went to my local comic shop, which was called Favorite Team, which is gone. Uh, and uh, they had this, they always had like the last six issues of just about everything still sitting on the racks for cover price. So I was able to buy essentially what? Uh, 219 up to 225 in one fell swoop go home and just like read those and and read them and read them and read them and then eventually of course fill in more back issues uh he hopes that some of the comic shops are still around i can tell you that westfield comics is still around uh in a different form than it was back then as well as cap city comics there you go. That's an interesting connection. It's very mysterious. I wonder if you and Dustin ever were in the same comic shop at the same time. Uh, I only ever went to the favorite team one, which was more of a baseball card store, but but he also had uh, quite a bit of comic books uh, as well. I don't know. I, name doesn't sound familiar, so. But Madison's a big town. Well, there's no reason it should. I mean, unless you like stopped everybody in every comic shop and was like, "Hey, what's your name? My name's Jeremy." <laughs> I did that, <laughs> and I had a little notebook and I wrote down their name. And I'm like, one day, I'm gonna need this. Dustin's not in the book. Oh man. <laughs> All right, so if you'd like to get a hold of us or tell us tales of your favorite comic book stores, uh, please do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast, Twitter us at Danger Room Go, email us dangerroom at redcapproductions.com, go out to iTunes, click on the podcast section, type in Danger Room, we're the first one that shows up, or give us a call, leave us a voicemail at 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636, uh, as always, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, and we're not done yet. Ooh, man. Oh man! No. Nope. We got we got some shiz. <laughs> we got X Factor number twelve. Uh, I really like the art in this issue. Yeah, it's, that's uh, because it's Mark Silvestri. It's Mark Silvestri. <laughs> I mean, uh, the one thing you so you had kind of an. Not an issue, I'll say, but like you, you noticed some things about the splash panel of X Men Two Thirteen. Um, I've always liked this splash panel of Angel because it's his realization that they have to cut his wings off, and his face is in angst. His his neck is all stressed, and you can see all of the the cartilage and the veins and everything that's going on. But it wasn't until this read through that I noticed that like his back does this really weird thing behind his neck, <laughs> and I don't like it. I I feel like. Uh, that what's colored flesh colored should be more pillow covered. <laughs> There's just too much back going on here. The nineties begin here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this issue is, uh, it's, it's a good one. It sets up a, a storyline. I mean, we're, we're also out of the mutant massacre here. Um, but basically, um, X factors got a lot of mutants that they're taking care of. Um, so it's pandemonium and, and messes are occurring. Leech is there and some comedy ensues. Um, but the issue kind of surrounds the newest mutant who will become uh, part of their care. We met her in Secret Wars 2. 
and last issue, Boom Boom, who's hanging out with the Vanisher. Uh, she does end up calling uh, X-Factor on the Vanisher. Bobby and uh, uh, Hank feel like it would be a good opportunity to kind of clear their heads if they could maybe just get out and, and do some classic X-Factor mutant hunting, which leads to some hijinks. Caliban, is, uh, he, wants, he wants revenge. He wants to help. Um, and so he's like, I could come help you track that evil mutant. And they're like, well, Caliban... Kind of need you to stay back here, and you're ugly. <laughs> they don't say that, of course, but but Caliban's feeling pretty helpless. Gene uh, and Scott are feeling pretty helpless. Gene realizes that with all this crazy crap going on, she should call her sister, and she does, and she's unable to get a hold of her sister. And Scott's like, "Yeah, I can't get a hold of Maddie." So they decide to go visit, uh, go to Sarah's house to see what's going on. Um, Eventually, uh, Beast and Iceman finally get introduced with uh, Boom Boom. And I got to be honest, the Vanisher in issue number two of the X-Men almost took over the country. And now he's just like (laughs) running a bunch of like shoplifting girls gang. He's still under the professor's mind wipe. It's, It's that long lasting. I forgot about that. Uh, but they finally introduce themselves to Boom Boom Boom. So I was like, look, I'm sorry, because she does the time bomb in the back of Bobby's shirt. And then she just threatens to like make a big time bomb and blow them all up. But really, she's like, I just, um, my daddy beat me and uh, everybody leaves me and stuff. And Iceman it turns into a big softy. He's like, oh, why don't you come back with us? And Beast makes fun of him for it. Um we also meet a little girl who's anorexic named Autumn, who has the power to turn, I guess, organic items into dust. And Apocalypse shows up in a moment uh, where she's had a big fight with her family. And she's like, they can't make you eat. Nobody can make you eat. Nobody can make you do anything you want. Come with me. I'll give you power. And then they won't eat until you tell them they can eat. She's like, okay, yeah. I'll come with you. <laughs> Scott and uh, Gene head off to Sarah's, and uh, Sarah's not there. The house is cleaned up. Nobody's there. The phone rings. Gene answers it, and somebody says, Muty lover, and the house explodes. There is reference to uh, the the bomb that happened on Shan's apartment. Yes. uh, From New Mutants as well, which is a nice tie-in. Yep. Uh, They use their mutant powers to protect themselves from the explosion, so they're not hurt. But the house is destroyed. Uh, and Scott makes a decision that he needs to go back, uh, to Alaska to find out what's happened to, to Maddie. He has originally had assumed that she had left him, but then he's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would she just like leave without any information or whatever? So he's now worried that maybe, maybe whatever's happening to Sarah, whatever's happened to the Morlocks, maybe, Maybe G- or Maddie's been the target of something. Also, it should be noticed that Angel has invited Cameron up to the uh, hospital room to have his papers put in order so that X-Factor can be the sole beneficiary of his whatever's left of his fortune should anything happen to him as the doctors say that if he doesn't have his wings amputated, he will die. And at this point, he's refused to let his wings be cut off. Um... I think that's pretty much it. Well, I guess one other thing of note is that as Scott makes his decision to head off to Alaska, Jean recoils and she's like, ah, I lost him. I've lost him. But I guess I already did lose him when he married Maddie. And she kind of swallows that back up and, and 
puts her head high and she's like, go get your wife. You go, Scott. Like, kind of like, you got my support on this one. I have to say the uh, the art of Mark Silvestri very much supports the soap opera qualities of X Factor. Like, if, if you go back to the scene where Gene and Scott are in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, Gene does so much dynamic posing in this thing. And there's, like, a close-up of her. She looks like a crying supermodel. She's constantly standing in these ridiculous poses. <laughs> it's it's great. Um, and, and then, like, Boom Boom. It, it, people love or hate Boom Boom. I'm on the love fence. But in this, like, she's a cartoon character and she goes back and forth between being heavily realistic and and a cartoon character and it's it's a lot of fun this issue and the next few issues uh bounce back and forth from being a lot of fun to the very uh soap opera i don't know storytelling of dun 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 this happened dun 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 that happened uh, it's like i said when we started this run like do yourself a favor and read these early issues of, of x factor it kind of takes some time for the wheels to get going but this is where in my opinion it really starts hitting its stride and for the next four or five issues uh, it'll be strong and then it'll kind of dwindle down again but it can't always be good so uh continuing like i think directly after this issue we have uh, Mephisto versus, well, it's the Mephisto versus Limited series. First issue is Mephisto versus Fantastic Four. Uh, we don't cover that one. But, you know, very quickly, uh, I can tell you that uh, Mephisto captures and tortures Franklin and the Fantastic Four um, and tricks Sue Storm into uh, a binding contract where he owns her, her soul. So that's that's basically that issue. It's a lot of Fantastic Four stuff. Nice. So this issue, uh, issue two, Mephisto versus X-Factor, picks up right after that. Um, and uh, so when in the last issue, when Mephisto kicked the Fantastic Four out of his realm, he said, only an unknown quantity might have a chance at stopping me. And the idea is that he planted a seed in Mr. Fantastic's head, which meant Mr. Fantastic translates an unknown quantity as meaning an X-Factor because Comics are silly and fun and wonderful. Yeah. I, in a realistic world, that makes no sense whatsoever. But, you know, whatever. Comics. Comics. Yeah, I, I don't I, – I read this uh, and I, I hated it. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, it. I, I guess, yeah, I hated it. It was a uh, – I hated it. Because <laughs> to me, it's, it's a story that, that doesn't exist. I mean, it, it exists, but it's never referenced in X-Factor. Uh, I know that we have a copy of Mephisto versus X-Men coming up, which will never be referenced in X-Men either. Um, the way the story ends, I don't know if there's anything you want to talk about meat-wise, but the way the story ends is uh, uh, Angel goes crashing. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But Jean is captured. Uh, her has She unwittingly gave her soul uh, to save her friends, and now she's in Mephisto realm. So Mephisto is playing a a game, the ultimate ends that we we don't know yet, where he's he tricks Sue Storm, but he doesn't actually have rights over Sue Storm. But then he makes a bargain with X Factor, and Jean Grey accepts his uh, offer, and now he has official rights according to the rules of Mephisto, wherever, uh, the Mephisto's realm, which I guess is not hell. Maybe it's heck. I don't know. Uh, he now officially has uh, Jean Grey's soul. Um, no longer needs Sue Storm, so he's playing like a trading game, which is sort of uh, sort of a collectibles commentary. I don't know. 
Sure. Uh, he, he, he pulls uh, Angel out of the hospital, as you mentioned, and gives him back his wings. And Angel's super happy about that. And he's like, I got my wings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, you're right, never gets referenced again. Because at the end of the issue, oh, he also like melts Iceman. And, and he has uh, he Cyclops is so mad he uses the full intensity of his optic beams to shoot at uh, Mephisto, but Mephisto conjures up Madeline Pryor and the baby, and Cyclops unwittingly destroys them. Yeah, and then goes no, and Mephisto turns Beast into an actual beast, kind of a frogish, lizardy type of creature. And at the end of the issue, once he gets Jean Grey back, he returns everything back to normal. Yep. The angel, still critically wounded, returns to his hospital bed. Uh, however, where uh, he's doing all this stuff, he also sends a bunch of demons after Angel, and Angel goes up into the sky. And and if you think this story is meaningless, we cut to Marvel Fanfare number 40, which tells what happens in the time between Angel crashing to the ground with a bunch of demons on his back and when he gets zapped back into the hospital bed in time for X-Factor number 13. Um, so well, a couple of things. Uh, Start by David Mazzucchelli, who is like one of comics' greatest. Yeah, no, the art's, the art's great. Um, a couple of things. So I don't know how the Mephisto versus resolves itself. I don't know how Jean gets out of giving her soul to Mephisto. I assume that everybody forgets everything and they go about their lives as if nothing happened, but I don't know that for a fact. Um, but the one thing that I feel missed opportunity of this story, this uh, Marvel fanfare number 40, I really mm-hmm. wish that this this story could have been altered slightly and it could have happened after X-Factor 15. And then I think it would have been like a really sweet, elegant touch. I, I don't want to spoil anything. I mean, everybody kind of knows what's coming. But if this would have taken place after those events and just been slightly modified and not tied into the Mephisto thing at all and just been kind of like a fallen angel story, I think that would have been nice. But it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really weird. It's, it's, it's very nice to look at. It's about an old lady who is afraid of everything and everyone's like kind of taking advantage of her taking advantage of her or telling her she's too old to do things and then and she's a very religious and so angel falls out of the sky um she glues all of his feathers back on she keeps one of his feathers for a couple of pages but then gives it back then angel's very grateful for what she's done for him and he leaves and she is now not afraid of anything and gets in her car and turns on some old timey rock and roll and drives around and throws away her toaster yes or uh, not her toaster her toaster oven yeah because it burnt her toast earlier right so angel gives her a kiss on the way out he takes an apple and uh she says kissed by kissed by oh yeah again like i said really visually striking didn't need to exist after the mephisto versus uh this type of a story or format uh could have existed elsewhere it could have been like a dream or just kind of an analogy or like a i don't know it sort of really is i mean it doesn't have to play take place in continuity 
Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, if it took place after the events of X Factor 15, like, it could have just, it could have been a different story with the same type of whimsical art style as kind of a farewell, but not really existing within, like, the Marvel, you know, super tight continuity. Yeah. But it didn't. So, say la vie. Well, I would argue that there's no such, there's no real super tight continuity. I think, I think we all want to believe there is, but I think when you're the a creator at Marvel, it's it's a lot more flexible than than we care to admit. Uh, maybe I don't know. Um, I love David Mazzucchelli. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Mazzucchelli. He uh, he did one of my. Well, he did. He's most famously known for Batman Year One. Um, which I feel like the art of that is very different than the art of this. But the art of this is very similar to his graphic novel that he wrote called Asterius Polyp, which is probably one of my favorite graphic novels of all time. Mm, okay. I highly recommend it. Um, enough said. All right. Asterius Polyp. I've never heard of it. It's good stuff. He, I, I believe he wrote and drew that. And it's it, it's just got uh, so many different styles and, and it's super – Super creative, and and it really shows how uh, far the the form of comic book can can stretch, and and uh, just it's really good, it's really good. Okay. Um, I also read New Mutants number uh, forty eight. I read a little bit of this. Seemed interesting. So I mentioned last issue that they get teleported to Days of Future Past, um, and they do. But only it's only half the team, Magma, Sunspot, Karma, and Wolfsbane. Uh, the rest of the team, we don't know where they are. We'll find out in the next few issues. So they are in Days of Future Past timeline. They get attacked by Sentinels uh, who get momentarily confused because they're already dead. And they're saved by Future, Cannonball, and Mirage who are happy to see them but also confused and sad because they're dead. When they ask how they knew they would be there, Cannonball, future Cannonball, says he remembers it happening that way. Later in the story, somebody points out that that makes no sense because he's not there. Uh, Past, he is not there. So how would he remember this? There's a point to bringing that up, but I'm not really sure what it is. Okay. Uh, I guess that it's time. Time is fluctuating. And the the idea is... uh, well, so uh, we get we get a backstory more of uh, how Days of Future Past came about, and we see that uh, the government got the superheroes to help them round up the mutants during the height of mutant hysteria. We get some panels showing that, and then once that's finished, the Sentinels and the humans team up to uh, annihilate the superheroes. So we, we get a Captain America Sentinel, which is random. <laughs> yep. Um, there is a story where the uh, the young New Mutants help the old New Mutants rescue Lila Cheney, who's also there. She's been teleporting people from this world to live in her little geo world, geosphere, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. Dyson Sphere, something like that. So the older New Mutants and uh, they, of course, save her. The older New Mutants and Lila are the last to go to the other world, leaving Earth behind forever. They're going to take the New Mutants. They're not going. They don't want to take the New Mutants with them. Because there's a kind of story that everything is in flux, and if they, if the young Numians stay behind, uh, there's a potential that they could change this future from ever happening. So they have to stay behind and wait for magic to find them. Uh, meanwhile, in the present, Magnino is cleaning up the New Mutants' rooms. Stevie Hunter shows up, and they kind of talk about how New Mutants are. Uh, Magneto actually cares about the new mutants now. Like he's no, if if they're dead, he's no longer has his obligation to the professor. But he 
he still he wants them to be alive. So get some Magneto characterization there. Nice. Um, I also want to briefly mention Alpha Flight number forty three okay. because it's got some X Men stuff. Uh, it's got Ms. Miro. So he I guess he's been in Spider Man, but he escapes imprisonment uh, and heads to Canada, of course, and the. Uh, U.S. There's some some team sends some newly untested stealth sentinels to recapture Mesmero, and this this is from a group of scientists that reports to Sebastian Shaw, who shows up and threatens everybody in this issue. Um, Alpha Flight has a new member of the team, Purple Girl, who's the daughter of Purple Man, and she gets into a tete-a-tete with Mesmero and the new Sentinels, and she's able to beat Mesmero by closing her eyes because Mesmero's power only works if he's like got the gaze looking at people oh yeah staring at them yep so she closes her eyes and, and her power works that people just listen to what she says so she tells the people that uh, mesmero is manipulating to uh attack mesmero and her power overrides his power Deep. i'm still reading alpha flight it's kind of it's kind of it's, it's, it's okay <laughs> it's mostly not worth talking about but you know Sentinels, Sebastian Shaw, Mesmero, all that stuff. I got it. I'm with you. I think that's everything, right? That's a lot of material, but yeah, that that would do. That's everything. Okay. So there you go, everybody. Um, Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Closed.